Our reading today is taken from Mark chapter 9, and it's verses 30 through to 50. It'll also be up on the screen. Jesus predicts his death a second time. They left that place and passed through, passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the roads? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children into my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their rewards. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Where the worms will eat them, do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Thank you, Tim. Well, let's pray together. We're going to open up this passage together this morning afterwards. I believe that God's going to, we're going to want to do some ministry among the people here. So we've got our prayer ministry team who are going to be available to pray for you and with you. So let's pray as we open up this passage together that God's going to speak to us as a church and individually today that he might do his work among us. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your words. We thank you for the way that it challenges us. We thank you, Lord God, for the way that when we read it, we see who you're calling us to be. And as we continue to think about our vision as a church today and who you are calling us to be, may you speak to us powerfully, individually and corporately as your body here, that, Lord, we might be excited and encouraged for where you are taking us as a church in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, we're continuing our sermon series today, looking at our vision, who we are 
as a church, looking at our values here at Hope Baptist Church. Our plan is to really cover these things every September because it's really important that we constantly keep at the forefront of our minds who we are, who God is calling us to be, and where God is calling us to go, and indeed how we're going to get there as well. And as we've said in previous weeks, here at Hope Baptist Church, we base our vision really around five key words, belonging, believing, serving, impacting and multiplying. Our heart here at Hope Baptist Church is that we are a church where every single person can find a home and find a place to belong. We want to welcome all people regardless of who they are, what their background is and where they've come from because we want everybody to come under the sound of the gospel. We want to be a church that believes. A couple of weeks ago, Zoe opened up Psalm 119 for us and looked at that famous passage, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. She mentioned, didn't she, that in ancient times that travellers would often strap a, a light to their foot as they walked and that lamp would illuminate the very next step that they were going to take along the path. We want to be a church that believes. In a world where... It feels so much like the ground beneath us at times is so shaky and uncertain when it feels like actually we don't know what is coming next when we turn the news on. Ultimately, it's having a firm grasp of scripture and knowing what God says, which gives us hope. That when everything around us looks shaky and uncertain, we know the one who knows the plan for our lives and for his church. And as a result, we can have that hope and carry on. And our heart here is that we are a church that enables everyone to go deeper in scripture and deeper in their faith. So when those storms of life do come, whatever they might be in your life, you have those firm roots which will enable you to stand. And as we open up our next vision point today, we do so looking at a fascinating point in the ministry of Jesus. We touched on this verse a little bit over the previous few weeks when we opened up our dedication series like a child but I want to go a little bit deeper into what this is actually teaching us today and as we do I want us to ask the question what does it mean for us here at Hope Baptist Church in this year to be a church which has serving other people at its heart picture the scene Jesus is passing through Capernaum. This time, when he goes there, he doesn't really want anyone to know that he is actually there. You see, he needs some privacy at this point in his ministry because his public ministry is about to come to an end. And as a result of that, he needs to invest in this small band of disciples. He needs to input into them and teach them about everything which is going to happen because in many respects, the success of Jesus' ministry really hinges on training these disciples in the way that they should go. Because these are the ones who are going to carry the gospel to the entire world once Jesus has ascended into heaven. And in doing so, Jesus makes a second prediction about his death. The first one comes in the previous chapter in Mark chapter 8. I'm sure if you know the book of Mark, you'll know the story where Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And eventually Peter stands up, doesn't he? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as Peter exclaims this, Jesus goes on to teach the people about his death. But Peter, he gets a bit funny about this and he says, no, Jesus, that'll never happen to you. And in doing so, Jesus turns to him and he rebukes him for what 
he has said. This time, as Jesus once again predicts his death, the disciples stay quiet. They can't really comprehend what he is talking about, and they probably are afraid to ask what he actually means by it. Perhaps they remember what happened to Peter in the previous chapter and thought, I'm not going to ask anything or say anything. I don't want that to happen to me. But whatever the reason, it seems at this point anyway, they're living in a state of denial. But what we see in this prediction that Jesus makes is that he adds another element to what he is saying. He tells them that he is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now, at this point, the disciples probably should have had a question in the forefront of their minds. They should have been asking, who is the one who is going to betray Jesus? But instead... There's another argument going on behind the scenes. They're arguing about who is the greatest and who is going to be the greatest. And you know, what the Gospel of Mark actually shows us when we look at it as a whole is that the disciples are good at arguing. In Mark chapter 8, there's this incident where the disciples forget some bread. So what do they do? They argue among themselves about it. If we were to go back to Mark chapter 9 and verse 14, what we see is the disciples arguing with the religious leaders when they failed to cast out a demon. In Mark 9.38, we've heard it read to us this morning, the disciples are seen arguing with people who are casting out demons, but they weren't with them. There are more examples that I could pull out to you this morning about the fact that this is an arguing bunch of people. It's in their nature. That's how it seems anyway. And the reality is, isn't it, so often we fall into exactly the same trap. We find ourselves arguing, don't we, about the sort of music that we sing on a Sunday morning. We find ourselves arguing about the style of the service and what should be included and what shouldn't be included. We find ourselves arguing often about petty theological issues. We find ourselves arguing about so many things, but here's the problem. When we find ourselves arguing, it damages our witness and the body isn't edified. And on this particular occasion, what we see in Scripture is that the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest. And what I find fascinating about this particular passage is that even though they're arguing about who is the greatest, Jesus doesn't rebuke their ambition. You see, the desire to be great is not the issue here. The issue is really understanding what true greatness actually is. You see, in the world's eyes, when we talk about greatness, we're talking about being number one. We're talking about being top of the pile. We're talking about being first in the pecking order. Greatness is often bound up in our achievement, in our status, and in power. But in God's economy, greatness is something which is totally and utterly different. In God's kingdom, you don't achieve greatness by being first. You achieve greatness by your willingness to be last. You don't achieve greatness by getting people to serve you. You achieve greatness by becoming a servant of all. I loved what Justin Welby said last week at the Queen's funeral when he is stood in the middle of a room with the most powerful people in all the world. And let's face it, probably some of the most corrupt people in all the world too. And he says this, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. 
And that's the essence of what is going on here in Mark chapter 9. The disciples, they're jostling for position and power, but this dispute opens up an opportunity for Jesus to begin to teach on selfless service and what it actually is. You see, the disciples, they're suffering in many respects from delusions of grandeur. They're suffering with this kind of puffed up ego and puffed up attitude, but that is never the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus says, if you desire to come after me, you must first of all deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me. The way of Jesus is a life of selfless service. And that's why Jesus picks up a little child here in this passage. Children have no power whatsoever. They have no status, and particularly in these times, had actually very few rights. A child is dependent, a child is vulnerable, a child is totally and utterly subject to the authority of his father. And this image is the image that Jesus uses to show us what it means to be great. Serving is at the heart of our vision here at Hope. Not because... We want to make sure that all of our rotors are filled on a Sunday morning, though there are plenty of gaps on our rotors on a Sunday morning. So if you're not doing anything and you want to get involved, come and see me. In fact, I'm not 100% sure we've got people to serve tea and coffee at the end of the service this morning. So if you want a practical application to this sermon today, there's one straight away. But that's not the reason that serving is at the heart of who we are. You see, serving is at the heart of who we are because simply... You're never more like Jesus than when you serve others. Jesus is the one who left his throne in glory, left the riches of heaven to take on the form of a servant. Jesus is the one who had every right to be served. He wasn't merely an earthly king. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of the universe, the one who was and is and is to come, the one to whom nothing and no one can compare. And yet what does he do? He takes on the form of a servant. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And as Zoe pointed out last time, our heart here is that everyone develops deep roots in Christ. But genuine discipleship is not merely about knowledge. It doesn't matter how much scripture you know or how much scripture you've memorized if you're not willing to put it into practice. So what else then do we learn from our text today about true greatness and indeed serving and where God might be calling each and every one of us to serve right now. Well, the first thing that we learn is that serving and greatness involves loving people. Mark 9.37 says this, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The key to understanding this passage today is in three little words. In my name. You don't welcome a child into your arms because you want to get up the ladder in your job. You don't welcome a child into your arms because you want status or recognition. William Barclay put it like this. Now a child has no influence at all. A child cannot advance a man's career nor enhance a man's prestige. A child cannot give us things. It's the other way round. A child needs things. A child must have things done for him. And so Jesus is saying, if a man welcomes the poor, ordinary people, the people who have no influence, no wealth, no power, the people who need things done for them, then he is welcoming me. And more than that, he's welcoming God's. Jesus 
is pointing out here that serving starts with welcoming and loving people and not actually expecting anything in return. The world tells us to use people for our personal gain, that it doesn't matter if we step on people in order to get to the top. But the essence of discipleship is serving others. Why? Because God is love and people are precious to him. Notice though, when Jesus starts teaching about these things, it clearly triggers something in the disciples' thinking because John goes on to ask Jesus a question in verse 38. He says this, Teacher said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. In other words, Jesus, based on what you've just told us, did we do the right thing? And Jesus' response in verses 39 to 40 is, Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one that does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. There's a very practical outworking to Jesus' teaching here. Because again, there's a danger that we fall into the very same trap that the disciples fell into. We can easily look at the church up the road and think, well, they have more money than us. They have more resource than us. They have more people than us. We need to do something in order to compete and to achieve greatness. But Jesus says, I'm not calling you to be the biggest, shiniest church in the city. There might be different congregations around the place, but if they're keeping Jesus as the main thing, they're never our enemies, but they're our allies. Don't set your sights on being the trendiest church. Set your sights on being faithful to what I am calling you to do, which is to love God and love people. And the outworking of that is service. Friends, how is Jesus calling you to serve others right now? How is Jesus calling you to serve him right now? The second element of grace and greatness that we see from this passage today about serving others is that we need to realize that the smallest acts of service that we do are of great importance to God. Verse 41 says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. There have been several times in my ministry where people have told me that they feel that they should have a significant leadership position in the life of the church, only to find themselves a little bit disgruntled when I haven't necessarily always agreed with them. You see, it's not about the competence of a person which makes someone great. Skills can be learned. It's the character of a person which is of vital importance. And when it comes to leadership, for me... It's not about how well a person can preach. It's not about how good they might be at their role. It's about whether they're willing to pick up a tea towel and do the jobs that no one else is really that willing to do. And you know, whenever we talk about serving in the church, like when we talk about giving at times, sometimes these topics and subjects can make people feel a little bit uneasy because we can end up feeling guilty about ourselves because 
The role that we can perform in the stage of life that we're at means that it feels quite small and insignificant to us. Whether that's because of family life or family circumstances or health or age, we look at ourselves and think, I am not doing enough. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? The point of serving is not to do more and to burn yourself out because we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace. God has prepared good works in advance for us to do but he's prepared good works in advance for us to do, specifically for us to do, not looking at what other people are doing. The point of what Jesus is saying here is greatness is found in serving God where you can with what he has given you. And if all you have the ability to do right now is to give someone a cup of water in Jesus' name, that's all you have the ability to do. But here's the point. If that is you, make sure you're giving that cup of water in Jesus' name. What is God calling you to do at the stage of life that you are at with what you've got here in this place to build up his people and to build up the church? There's so much more that we could draw out of this chapter together today, but I want to land this morning on verse 50, which says this, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. There are several times in the Gospels where Jesus refers to his followers in this way, talking about them as salt. And in many respects, it's an image that we kind of find hard to appreciate because salt is an everyday commodity for us. We can just nip to the co-op or Morrison's after the service and we can buy ourselves a bag of salt fairly cheaply. But When we're talking about salt in Jesus' day, it took on a whole different connotation. Salt had so many different uses. Before we have fridges, salt was the primary way that food was preserved. Salt is the thing which changes the flavour of our food. Salt can be an antiseptic. It can be a fire catalyst. It can be a fertiliser. And to get pure salt, the kind of salt that we are accustomed to when we do go to the shop, in Roman times was incredibly difficult. And what that did is it drove the price of salt up. So much so that Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. That's where we get our saying today, he is not worth his salt. Salt has the ability to change even the most bland of food, to totally change the flavour of it. And that's the role that you and I are called to do when we're talking about greatness, when we're talking about serving, we're called to be salt, to change the flavour of what is around us. When was the last time, I wonder, you cooked something and you added salt to it and you gave it to someone and they ate it and said, you know what, there's some good salt in that. I'm guessing never, because here's the thing, you never put salt in something and then glorify the salt. It's not about that. The point of salt is to enhance the flavour in such a way that the whole thing is better. And for us as Christians, we are called to enhance the flavour of the society that God has put us in, in every area of our lives. And you know what? In many respects, how freeing is that? Because the problem is, when we talk about serving in the life of the church, Unfortunately, our talk and our terminology often gets put into a hierarchy of serving. And we all almost talk almost about a hierarchy of Christians as well. You've got the ministers, then you've got the kind of Christian missionaries slightly under that, then there's the charity workers, and then there's everyone else. We perpetuate this myth as well, don't we, by saying, oh, one day that person might be called into ministry. 
Whereas Jesus is saying here, we are all ministers. Every single one of us is a minister. We are all called to be salt in the place where God has placed us. So if you're working in a hospital or a school, if you're working in a chip shop or you're raising your kids and you're spending the majority of your time at the school playground or in the park, you are a minister. You really are. God is saying, I am calling you to be salt in the place where I have situated you. It's no less important than anyone else his role. In fact, you are the only one who has the ability to bring that flavor change in your world right now where God has placed you. Friends, this morning, the bottom line is this. Somewhere in all of us, there is an innate desire to be great, to make a mark. But the eyes of greatness of the world are different to the way God views greatness. In a world which is so me-centric, Jesus says, humble yourself. In a world which gives us the desire to be number one, Jesus says, the first shall be last. In a world which leaves us with a desire to have people serve us, Jesus says, I'm calling you to be a servant. That is true greatness. And that's why serving is at the heart of who we are here at Hope Baptist Church. It's not about keeping a show on the road. It's about becoming more like Christ. How is God calling you to serve right now? How is God calling you to build up his body and serve his people? Perhaps for you, that cup of water simply means I'm going to commit to praying for the church every single day. That's where I am at the moment and that's what I can do. Perhaps it looks like getting involved in a ministry here at Hope Baptist Church, putting yourself out there and saying, do you know what? I am willing to serve in this capacity because Jesus has done it for me. Perhaps it looks like serving the vulnerable in our community on a wider scale. I don't know what it looks like for you, but what I do know is that God has a role for you. He has prepared good works in advance for you to do. Because here's the thing, when scripture talks about the church, it talks about a body. And for the body to function in the manner that the body is supposed to function, everyone has a part to play. I'm not really sure what some parts of my body do. But I know that if I didn't have them, initially at least, I would miss them because my body wouldn't function as it should do. You have a part to play. Some parts might look bigger than others. Some parts have more capacity to take on more roles and more functions. But no matter how big or how small your role may seem, it matters. So let's be a church which commits to playing our part. And our hope here at Hope is that we become a people who become more like Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And Lord God, we ask for forgiveness for the times where we feel an entitlement to be served, where we feel disgruntled, where people aren't meeting our needs. Help us to be a people, Lord Jesus, who don't look 
for the needs of our, ourselves first and foremost, but we seek to build up the body by meeting the needs of others. Lords, may people look at this congregation, this group of people at this time and say there's something different about them because I see the way that they love one another. May the attraction of Christ in us be so infectious to this community that, Lord God, we run out of space here at Hope Baptist Church because of what you're doing among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.